Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Well, hello there, Emily. Hi. How are you? I'm good. What you drinking this morning? Coffee. Only one cup. You know, back. I cut back coffee. I, I'm like... Yeah, you haven't been doing it. Maybe a month in with no coffee in the morning. I've been doing lemon water. Yes. Like Dr. Oz. Right. <laughs> just turning so over a new... Healthy. Just turning over... I just finished my first week of no red meat. Yes. How about that? I'm Our family is really... going pescatarian, and we're going <sighs> to do it. We're going to get... This, this daddy right here is going to be sexy soon. All just right. watch out. <laughs> Watch out, people. <laughs> I am so excited about today. I'm too. Why are you excited? Okay. Well, I have a long history with our guests. We have a very special guest on the show, Jimmy Dorrell, who many of you know if you're around Waco or Texas, you know about his uh, his work through Mission Waco Mission World. But my personal experience started when I was a Baylor student and wanted to take an easy PE credit for my last year and yes. thought, cool, I'll just take this Poverty in Waco class and get on with my Because surely self, that's a my football Baylor class. Self. That's just a blow off. I mean, I looked at it kind of like, oh, this sounds interesting. Um, my world was totally wrecked and rocked. And really, although I had a heart for ministry, I will say... My my lens of ministry, of course, at Baylor University and growing up Southern Baptist in in East Texas, was a very middle to upper class look at what holding Jesus out to the world was supposed to look like. And this class um, and Jimmy really opened my eye. He he really confronted me. <laughs> It was more of a wrestling for a semester, and um, it led the way because then everything else started to come into perspective on God's heart for the poor and how they were the keys. They held the keys to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That was the book that we read. I'll never forget it. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, here we are at Jesus Said Love Now. I, I credit a lot to... Um, to that formational time in my life of even being able to ask the question, where are the women living who are prostituting, who are engaged in commercial sex? Where are they and how can I know them? You know, I remember, um, I think maybe the, the end of that class, the final exam was doing poverty simulation, right? Where you actually, oh, yeah. you're homeless for a whole weekend or something right, like right, that. Right. And you and I had mm-hmm. just gotten engaged like a couple of days before. Yeah. And you were you in had Turkey. Your, and I, I was overseas for my very first mm-hmm. overseas experience doing whatever I remember. It was a long time ago. Um, but you they took your ring. Well, they didn't take it. It was my choice, but it was like, no, you turn in all of your things. And I was like, this is like a $5,000 ring. That I worked hard. And they were like, and they were like homeless people don't for... have $5,000 rings. You're homeless. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was... It was hard. Yeah. It was... It was really kind of a reckoning of like, okay, I am I'm going to live in these shoes. And obviously, I mean, it's a weekend, you know, like, it, but if you, if you do the work, it's kind of like a pilgrimage when you go on like a silent retreat for a weekend. It, it's, it's about the attitude with which and the posture with which you approach that. It's not something to check off your list. You know, it's an invitation. Yeah. yeah. So without further, okay. without further ado, so that's the intro. One yeah. of my heroes of the faith, <laughs> Dr. Jimmy Dorrell. Dun, 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 dun. Good Yay. morning. Good morning. He is in the house in Good full morning. regalia. Um, so I, so we're having you on the show because you have a book coming out, and this has been a long time in the works. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about. Who you are, what Mission Waco is, and lead us into this book. 
Let me give you a quick uh, background. First of all, thank you for letting me be here. And you guys know how much I love you and how much I appreciate your ministry in, in this city and the state and even wider. And to all you out there listening, uh, how fun it's been for us to support one another and work together in the same city. Uh, I grew up like most kids, uh, not East Texas, but uh, South Texas in some ways, uh, Church kid, uh, have a seven-year Sunday school attendance pin. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm the real thing. And uh, but I grew up in the '60s, and of course that was a very challenging time. Uh, Vietnam War going on, the hippie culture, counterculture pushback, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. marching, and so the reality is, our church didn't talk about those things. It mm. was sort of like uh, this world was going on beyond the walls, and we just kept doing our own thing and. I remember in 1967, uh, the rumor began to spread that the blacks were coming to our white church, mm. and we were petrified. We'd, we were a segregated city, uh, water fountains separate for uh, non-whites. Basically, the uh, colored folks were mm-hmm. had a water fountain name, couldn't go to the same movie theater with separate little leagues. Everything was di- different. And so we were afraid if they came, what would that look like? And so I asked the deacon, I said, what are we going to do if they show up? And he said, no, don't worry about it. We're not going to let them in. Mm. Well, I wow. look back, obviously, these, you know, 50, <laughs> 50 years later, and, uh, and I'm embarrassed that we, mm. the church, were part of the problem. Mm. And in some ways, we still are. Yeah. And so um, my experience began to change when I came to Baylor, uh, went to work uh, in the community as a youth director for five years, and I loved the kids. I found uh, this great relationship with high school kids across the city. But then I had a call one day from an African-American pastor named Dewey Pinckney, Pinckney was uh, not only pastor of St. Mary's Baptist Church, which I didn't know you could have a St. Mary's Baptist Church. It's <laughs> usually Catholic, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a blend. And uh, it was in no man's land, which mm. was this pocket of poverty between Waco and Belmede that nobody would take because it was so poor. And as we walked around that day, I saw houses literally falling down that people lived in. I um, saw kids running around half naked. And it was just, how, I kept thinking, how can it be in America yeah. This kind of poverty less than two miles away from, from Baylor could exist, and we were oblivious to it. So uh, we went over and did the vacation Bible school with him, and it began that change. And I will say this right up front. Uh, you can have all the um, epistemology, the knowledge, the information you want to to judge people by, but nothing changes your heart like experience. That's true. And so uh, as you get involved with people, some of those things that seem so important really are not when you love those kids. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah. so true. And so we, we really uh, begin to, to change and, and ask questions. And, uh, and, and with the culture of the 60s, then asking questions was okay. And so we were pushing back against some of the, the traditions that we had created. And fast forward, uh, went on to seminary. Um, Jan and I met and, and then uh, got married and Worked in Houston a while, but then we took a um, a trip at the maybe after four years in Houston with a one year old child on our back. We took off mm-hmm. to go around the world, and so for about 140 days, we mm-hmm. uh, grabbed our backpacks and uh, bought our tickets around the world, and could stop where we wanted to. And it was life changing. Mm-hmm. You can understand. It's one thing to go do the touristy thing, but mm-hmm. we we didn't know where we were going to stay the next night. We didn't know how long <laughs> we'd stay, and um, we. Uh, Went to places where we saw poverty of the worst kind. Uh, in Nepal, saw pastors being thrown in jail for sharing mm-hmm. the gospel for six years. They were they'd be condemned to to be there, and the pastors would say, "That's okay. We get to share with the folks in the prison." Mm-hmm. And wow. uh, just different attitudes, and and mm-hmm. it was so fun. And then uh, ended up in India, and of course, just mm-hmm. end of the trip. Four months later. And I uh, went to see the work of Mother Teresa in, um, uh, in Calcutta, a place called Kaligat, home for the dying. It was uh, the mother house and uh, spent several uh, weeks there taking care of people who were dying, literally in their last days of life, and watching these little sisters of charity love them and, and working in the slums with the lepers. And it was just an overwhelming ending to a long trip. We were exhausted. And so we decided to come back home to Waco, really mm-hmm. wasn't our, our real homes, but we'd been here long enough. And we knew we couldn't go back to middle-class America. It's mm-hmm. just once you've seen the, that and some of the 21,000 kids that'll die today of hunger-related mm-hmm. causes, we just couldn't play like we, the world didn't exist. So we started looking and found uh, an old house uh, in the neighborhood where Jesus says love is, mm-hmm. just down the street. 
And um, it, by then, it was, had become an all-African-American neighborhood. It used to be the rich, middle-class neighborhood. But as the blacks moved across the river in the 60s, white flight happened to the suburbs. Mm. And, um, and so these houses had become slumlord houses. And so we wandered around and found this 4,000-square-foot house that had uh, two mentally ill guys on one side and, and, and a mentally ill woman named um, the cat lady that had 40 <laughs> cats in the bedroom. And uh, then upstairs, another rat-infested rat uh, apartment. And um, we bought the house. It was our dream house. Now, can I just tell you, my father-in-law was not as excited as we were. <laughs> <laughs> Across the street, across right. the street from a bar called the Chat and Chew. There you what go. did they? What did they think about y'all taking off to go around the oh, world that, with a newborn? That was even worse. But uh, uh, they, my parents were kind of cool. They, they were kind of adventurous types. But her folks, unfortunately, they become Christians as adults, mm-hmm. so they understood the gospel piece of that. But they couldn't understand. Uh, he'd spent his whole life to let her live in a nice right. area, nice neighborhood, mm-hmm. and I, who was this kid that married my daughter and? Just mm-hmm. taking around the world, yeah. so it was a it was a, it take it took years to kind of heal some of that. But it was it, this is one of those biblical things where yeah. if you're going to follow Christ, it's going to cost you some right. some time in relationships with people who don't share the same value system. So yeah. we understand that. So you move into the neighborhood, and then that's this that's the seed bed, that's the soil for Mission Waco because yeah. Mission Waco then grows up around where you live, and so that's one of the values that we've learned through CCDA Christian Community Development Association is that you know incarnate ministry that incarnation living in proximity is so important one of the basic values uh, the people that we begin to relate to understood poverty and so much better than I and uh, Jesus like you said God became a man and dwelt among us it was the basic scriptural passage and incarnations are very threatening to middle-class America mm-hmm. because we've done everything we can to get away from the problems when in fact as salt and yeast and light we ought to be in the middle of the problems mm-hmm. and so we built a basketball court and the kids begin to come play is that we had an extra lot on our property and so uh, that 4,000 square foot house that we paid twelve thousand dollars for we know we, <laughs> we had a uh, we cleaned it up and started the basketball court, and re- literally Mission Waco began on the basketball court. The kids so would come, cool. uh, Mama would show up to get their kids. My kids played with their kids, so my kids did not grow up with uh, a lot of racial prejudice, mm-hmm. and uh, and so uh, it was a natural thing. I was still working an outside job. In fact, did so for eight years mm-hmm. uh, until we finally got enough money to officially incorporate and, and leave that organization, so I could do uh, that. But basically, Mission Waco was backyard Bible club. Clubs and teenage programs and uh, meeting with the mamas and uh, as just as you mentioned, Emily, the not only was the incarnational part, the principles of Christian community development are, are pretty different from the helping process that most of us think about when we think of helping people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a statement we use: the people with the problem must be a part of the solution to mm-hmm. the problem. That's basic to helping. You can't change neighborhoods if the people don't want to change, mm-hmm. and they must be a part of the leadership and the team. And that takes years of relationships. Mm-hmm. We'd much rather go run down and paint a house in the middle of the projects and yeah. take our picture in front of them and, yeah. and call that missions. But it's really not. It's no. just a, a kind of a... It's an ego. Uh, it is an ego it's, thing. It's an ego yeah. thing for so, us. Yeah. But that is. You're right. So we began there uh, just building relationships. My wife was incredible with the neighborhood mm-hmm. women, uh, began to help them... Uh, listening to them and build relationships. So it began to grow. And again, the growth about Mission Waco was built on what they thought was important, not what we thought was important. So today with the programs, uh, there's about... Uh, 17 programs and about 75 staff who are working. So it's grown through the years, but it didn't grow because we had a dream to grow. It grew because the next need, there wasn't an alcohol and drug rehab place. There there wasn't a homeless shelter. That's right. Everything was bottom up and the the blessing of people who believed in us over time that would help support that uh, made those things happen. Mm. Did, Did you ever, because you're, you've been doing this for so long, did you ever have any moment where you thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go get, I want to go live out in Woodway, have the house, <laughs> have the dental plan. <laughs> About 30 minutes into the program, the stuff, we were ready to go back. And when the, you know, the gun shots would go off and the house would uh, rock because of something. But uh, never, 
In fact, mm-hmm. I, I wish I could explain to the audience what a joy it has been, mm-hmm. even with the challenges. I mean, this is, we love life. We, mm-hmm. we, yeah. My kids love life. My kids that are now, now all adults have embraced it. I've got a son who does the same thing we do mm-hmm. in Galveston. So uh, you look back and you think, yet for the grace of God, it's like we didn't see that well. But, but just one step at a time, mm-hmm. but the joy, even in the midst of the challenges, have, have made it really worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So we're in a really interesting time in church history. I think we'll look back at this moment, much like you look back at the 60s, and you kind of go, wow, 2020 was pivotal. I mean, the things that have been unearthed in the midst of this pandemic are multi multifaceted pandemics, you know, the pandemic of racism, the pandemic of um, money, and so, you know, and greed, and, and this this quest to have more and more and more on top of the virus that we're facing. But your book is called Commonwealth. And when I heard that, because I get your emails, and when I heard that, I thought, oh, here he goes. He going to be meddling. He going to be meddling with us in the church. And I am excited, and I'm also really scared. I'm going to read this with fear and trepidation. I'm not sure if meddling is a spiritual gift or not, but I've been given that gift. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you do it with excellence. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is the the end of ministry part one um, book. Um, mm. I wrote a book years ago called Trolls and Truth yeah. about Church Under the Bridge, this crazy multicultural poor church that we've been in now for 28 years that was about what I've learned about God from the poor, mm-hmm. not the other side, not, mm-hmm. not from the seminary, but from the poor themselves. In, it's the way Jesus taught. So that was about the church, but uh, I needed a way to reflect if nobody else read the book but me. I, mm-hmm. It was that need to re- look back and, and see how God had done and what He taught us and uh, and what we're still in the midst of. So the book is uh, really was fun for me, but I wanted it to be much more than a testimonial, anecdotal stuff. And so I went deep. Um, mm-hmm. The book is about um, a lot of things. There's a whole chapter on the historical and biblical pieces about how we look at wealth and poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, 19 out of the 30 uh, parables that Jesus talked about had to do with wealth and poverty. Uh, the scripture has more verses about wealth and poverty than it does about heaven and hell, which is the thing mm-hmm. we talk mostly about. Uh, those verses are all there, but we don't see them because we're so our lenses are so warped by our culture that sometimes the very things God is trying to tell us, we don't go dig in and, and try to look at. So I went through the book and uh, talked about from early on about some of these uh, uh, ways we got into it and then dug deep into the biblical and historical. But really, um, the bigger issues were the the way that the wealth has hurt the church. Mm. And I know that seems like seems backwards because most churches are struggling. But in reality, um, our our privilege, our control, the, the wealth that we have that has given us the dominant culture in America and the world as well, mm. we um, have shaped the church around our vision of what it is instead of what the church was supposed to be about. So we'll get into that in the book. Um, and then there's uh, a couple other areas that we talk about. But primarily, it's the spiritual development. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we, the poverty simulation, I'm glad you said it. By the mm-hmm. way, we're still doing the poverty simulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had 24,000 people go through that weekend. Oh my goodness. They come from all over America to be poor for a weekend. The COVID thing has sort of slowed that down right now, but uh, people can go on missionwaco.org and look that up. But from Friday night through Sunday afternoon, you become poor. Uh, I can tell you all I want to today, and it will not impact you like the experience of being poor for a weekend. Mm -hmm. It's not like a three-hour planned famine, which you can go to McDonald's afterwards. Mm -hmm. This is where you begin to feel a little hungry. Your feet hurt because you walk some. A lot of these experiences are are nothing that you wouldn't... (laughs) But we balance them with experience and cognitive and biblical so that it really helps you get there. That's sort of what the book is. It's Mm -hmm. sort of this blendedness of the Mission Waco story, the theology of uh, the Bible, as well as the practical implications of how we need to change. How, I remember, I want to see in your book, in chapter five, you 
you start defining poverty. And I remember the definition for poverty from of what poverty is from my class, my senior year. I'm wondering if it's the same definition. Yeah. So how do you define poverty? Well, let me let me do the big biblical piece first. Uh, you go back to the Levitical and Deuteronomic law and to be poor meant that you only had one coat if you were an uh, Israelite, and you didn't have food for your family that day. The mm. average person would have two coats or cloaks and food for your family. But if you didn't have those two things, you were considered poor okay. by the Jewish law. And God ordained that anybody that didn't have enough for their family to eat could go to a normal person who had a little more money and leave their one coat mm. as their collateral. Mm. They would get their food from that person, take it home to their family to eat, and then come back and work their debt off that day. Mm. Well, the dilemma is you fast forward all the way to the 8th century B.C. and the prophets um, when things were good, it was the best of times, worst of times mm-hmm. mindset where the 8th century prophets uh, were condemning those that were going to synagogue. There was a religious atmosphere, but at the same time, uh, they were cheating the poor down in the marketplace. They were taking advantage uh, at the legal courts, paying the judges off. Mm-hmm. And then it says father and son would go in and sleep on the coats of the poor in temple Afro- of the temples of Aphrodite, prostitution, mm-hmm. and not give the coats back. Mm-hmm. And God said, I will bring condemnation on Israel because of the way you are treating my people. So we don't realize what a big theme it is. It is yeah. a huge thing. And so that was the biblical understanding. Of course, we fast forward to America, and most of us look at poverty through the government eyes about what it means to be poor, to a family of four, mm-hmm. falls below the federal poverty guideline, mm-hmm. which today is a little less than $29,000 a year. Um, just to remind folks that most people that are making seven twenty-five an hour working full-time or three right. part-time jobs, right. you multiply that out, it's still about $15,000. You're still $9,000 in the hole yeah. working three jobs, no insurance. And, right. and so uh, poverty contemporarily is that model. But um, it's, it's, and then there, but the, the reality is poverty is poverty of spirit. Mm. And so many of those of us who have had material blessings don't realize how poor we really are in the eyes mm. of God. Right. I remember um, we talked about poverty is powerlessness. Right. The, and that has helped me so right. much in framing what it means to have a lack of access or a lack of power to to be able to go and get what I need. And you're right. Throughout Old Testament to New Testament, the covenant of doing fellowship with the poor is there. It's there. It's it's never, we never get over it. In fact, Jesus only reinforced it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the New Testament only reinforces to an even deeper level. Yeah. When, he, when you're talking about poverty of spirit, what does it mean to, to have poverty of spirit? What does that mean to you? It's, it's really, I mean, the Beatitudes, the blessed mm-hmm. of the poor in spirit, the whole mindset is that we who think we've got it, don't. The mm. very fact that we think we have it is part of the, the spiritual dilemma that we think we know enough Bible or we've you know even got a little training or we're ethically doing well. That is not the biblical definition. Uh, poverty of spirit is this humility, this brokenness, this falling on your face before God because you know you're not worthy. Mm. I, I began the, the book um, comparing two Bible characters, uh, one being uh, Lazarus, uh, I'm sorry, uh, one being uh, the rich young ruler mm. and his coming to Jesus with this uh, sense that, look, I got all of it. I'm, I follow the law. I do that. How do I make sure I have eternal life? And Jesus says, go sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Uh, but Zacchaeus, mm. on the other hand, this little guy that was a tax collector who everybody hated in a tree, Jesus stops and says, I'm going to your house to eat. Yeah. And, uh, and goes there. And then in the middle of this conversation, this tax collector who was hated and despised stands up, gives half of his wealth away. And today, uh, and Jesus says, today, wealth, uh, spiritual poverty has come to this place. In other mm. words, you're, you're, you're a new creature in Christ because you understand. Now, that doesn't fit in very many Four spiritual laws tracks, you know, <laughs> uh, because right. it's, it's called. So it's it is a brokenness, uh, uh, a humility of 
falling on your face before God mindset that we just don't do. We, we learn a few more things and think we're doing pretty good compared to the other guys. But it is only in the, the brokenness of our lives that we find God. That's mm. when the poor are such good t- mentors for us. The yeah. girls that you work with, yeah. you know, they've been to the bottom. They are and, teachers. And, and they are teachers. And so people who don't understand that uh, need to come work with us all and realize <laughs> uh, your your view of the world will change. And I, okay, go ahead. You've been wanting to ask a yeah, question I have, for a while. I, I, You've been like that, smacking I over there. I feel like that kid. That, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Remember me. that? Okay. Mr. Kata. Um, what do you say to folks who say things like, um, there's no such thing as privilege? Or they have the same opportunity that I have. Lazy them. I worked my tail off to get where I'm at. What do you say to that person in kindness? <laughs> Well, first of all, if they come with the, the arrogance, there's probably nothing I'm going to say that's going to change your mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've learned through the years, mm-hmm. uh, argumentation doesn't change much thinking. However, Darn. That's know, good for me to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, even on social issues, I mean, we still think if I've got the, the last word, you're going to change, but we don't much change. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit that breaks us. It is mm-hmm. the place when, when somebody dies or when you get a terminal illness, when mm-hmm. you b- go bankrupt... Uh, sometimes it takes God's allowing circumstances to to make us fall on our knees, um, but sometimes it's long it's long term. Everything you start thinking, gosh, I never thought about that, or you hear a story that thinks, here's this poor guy who has so little, uh, and like the woman with the two mites that mm-hmm. gave away uh, all she had, and you think. I don't do that. I give a lot of money, but it is fractions of what mm-hmm. I have. And and I think it's sort of this bombardment of your value system. But we are who we are. So a lot of us, uh, it's a lot of undoing. You know, it is, yeah, it is. years of believing yeah. something that wasn't true. And we're so um, misinformed by our even our Christian culture right. that yes. thinks we're doing it all right. That it takes the work of God in ways that sometimes we just never see coming, and that, but then we have the choice because when you see it, you either embrace it or you run from it. Mm. And so many people who are hard-hearted, that word used mm. of Christians, the word scleros in the Greek, it's a hardness of heart. You can be an active Christian in a church and have a hard heart. Yeah. And mm. so it's only when you begin to recognize that and say, uh, God, I I'm, I'm, I need the real stuff. The word blasphemy really is um, it's not a matter of saying God's name in vain it is a matter of saying that that uh, the good what you what is right isn't right what is mm. true is not true mm. and vice versa and so we begin to literally call things uh, mm. from the other side that are it's like we call this right and it's not right based on God that's blasphemy and so it takes this brokenness to begin to see things through different eyes mm. now mm. now one of the criticisms okay and You've, I know you've heard this before, um, so I'm not telling you anything new, but what do you say to the critic who would, in the church, okay, so this would be a brother or sister in Christ in the church, who would say, well, you know, you just hate rich people. You just, you know, you just hate, you are just in love with poverty. You just want everybody to be poor. Yeah. The reality is I love rich people because they fund our organization. (laughs) (laughs) Let me be honest. But I tell you what's fun about them. Those that I know that are wealthy, that get it, I have watched their mindset. They they are able to come sit in our ministry stuff. And and I I can think of 10 people right now that have been very generous through the years that their hearts are gold. Uh, And it would be a shame for them to give up their wealth because it's ministries like ours uh, that can f- go do what they do. It's, it's the, God gave them the spiritual gift of making money, and they are generous. And not talking about ten percent, we're talking about very generous yeah. with their blessings to help us do the things we're called to. And they are giving up their yes, wealth. Yes, it well, is. The, it's for the common. Their, their wealth good. It, it right. has now become a tool. Yes. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Let me just go buy a yacht. Yeah. Yep. They'll go buy a yacht and invite us to have a party on it. Let's go bring some poor people to it. Yeah, and sometimes it's funny because people will say, well, I just need to 
just give all my money away uh, and and become a preacher. No, you'll be a lousy preacher, right? But you can make more in ten minutes than I can make in a year. And come, let's meet the people that you're blessing with your generosity, and then let's have some conversations. So there's still work to be done. Just giving alone is not enough. It right. is it is this transformation of mindset that has to happen, even among the wealthy who've made a lot of money and their hearts are good. They still don't get so much of the truth. Yes. And the goal, and I, I think you would say this for every single, the goal is not to be homeless. Right. You're working to right. alleviate right. Um, poverty. You're right. working to alleviate. So the goal is not that that we're all living below the poverty line. Absolutely. And, I, and that's the criticism yeah. we get sometimes yeah. even, and I'm sure you yeah. get, yeah. of like, um, well, so, you know, what? We're just, no, the goal is not to be poor. The goal is these is to build bridges out of that. But we all have to leverage what God has given us for the sake of the poor. And I think if, you know, just taking the life of Jesus, uh, our excuses fall on such uh, shallow ears when you think, Jesus touched the woman in adultery and loved this uh, leper and began to care for the beggars. And, you know, there isn't a model there in the Bible where, he did the next 10 things to get them out of poverty. But you meet people where they are, mm-hmm. and you want God's best. Mm-hmm. He created us in Imago Dei, the, mm-hmm. in, the, in the image of God, everybody mm-hmm. God values. And so if I've been in First John 3, 17, 18, is, we should wasn't in the Bible. But if you see somebody in need and ignore that need, how can you say the love of God's yes. in you? Right. You can't. You just so. But we say, well, that's their problem. They caused it themselves. And as Brett was saying, it's like you you begin to have these uh, excuses, these cheap uh, platitudes that we throw mm-hmm. back at the world to say, well, that's that's your problem. You just think about it the wrong way. Let me tell you, I love the people I'm with, and the ones that are struggling become my mentors in so many ways. And so I'm, I'm not, uh, I wish for so many wealthy people the joy of their salvation that some of the folks that we all work with, that uh, they don't have much, but they're, they're feeling the love of God and the joy of God. Mm, I think, amen. you know, I think for me, one of my pivotal moments was, um, so I was, I was kind of raised, don't, you know, when you're at the red light, don't give that guy. Yeah or that girl money because they're going to use it on drugs or they're actually really, really wealthy and they're just acting. And, uh, I had someone one time, uh, they gave someone money and I said, why are you doing that? Aren't they going to use it on drugs? And he said back to me, it's not my responsibility for what they do with it. Yeah. 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 My responsibility is to be generous. Yeah. And that, that changed my world. So yeah. now I give money yeah. and that, or, or whatever I'm, I'm able to give it in the moment because it's not my responsibility what they do with yeah. it. Yeah. God's uh, called me to be generous. The, the 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 bigger issue for us is what is keeping them on the corner because they they lost their dignity. When you're mm-hmm. out begging, you've lost your dignity. And so, uh, is it addiction? Mm-hmm. Is it mental health issues? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it a, a broken marriage? And I ended up giving up. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the book, when helping hurts, uh, mm-hmm. Corbett and Ficker's book, has been so helpful to the Christian church. I encourage everybody to read that. That's it's so very good. simple. Uh, but it reminds us that we have these basic flaws in our presuppositions. If we think they're poor because they don't have enough knowledge, and if I just teach them enough, <laughs> they'll be different. Or if they um, would would get a job, then that would change everything. Um, and if they just get saved, I mean, even the even the Christian worldview is just let's give them a track yeah. and give them on the corner. And if they get saved, then they won't be poor anymore. That's not true. Right. Their basic life is not in order. So ministry is so much more than... Salvation's the entry. It's the, the first step. But the real change is when we see our guys in alcohol and drug rehab uh, after six months, transform mindset. Right. They don't look at the world the way they did. All the ugly stuff that happened to them as children now being mm-hmm. redeemed. Uh, and, and so the Ficker's book talks about relief, though important. When there is a earthquake in Haiti, sure. you break out your checkbook. Sure. When somebody's house fire, fire burns their house down the street, you get get the money out. But when uh, we think sometimes giving people things is going to change but poverty, it's not really. Uh, it may be a doorway to build relationships, but ultimately we must move from relief to what Corbin Figure will call rehab. Yeah. Uh, it's a transitional time to ultimately uh, being what we would call development or we use the word empowerment a lot in our ministries, mm-hmm. as you know. And so, yeah. so what that means is 
I'm, I'm grabbing their hand and saying, let's, if you're ready, let's move from the crisis to a new person, the yeah. health. What are the building blocks that you've missed? What do we need to do to help you? And that's what's so fun. To, you know, Libby, a woman mm-hmm. in our ministry that uh, prostituted on our street mm-hmm. in front of my house for 13 years. Uh, over time, my wife and another woman in Mission mm-hmm. Waco, uh, she sat on the porch with her. And uh, over the next few months, she came to faith. Uh, after years of broken lives, and and mm. then ultimately um, got involved in our little church on the bridge, and we've even taken her to Haiti as a volunteer mm-hmm. now. So the from where she was to where she is, and there's countless stories in JSL's ministry and Mission Waco's ministries and th- thousands of others where we can look back and say, look what God did in this. Yeah, one. and it takes <clears throat> it takes. Time. Time, yes. Time is the currency of the kingdom. Yes. It takes money to to live yeah. and money to support yeah. the programs yeah. and the time that you yeah. spend, yeah. but time is the currency. Relationships are everything, and yeah. no relationship is going to happen quickly. Yes, yes. And um, what in the climate that we're in right now with your book coming out, what are you, what are you hoping to I, I don't even know if like change is the right word because right no, rhetoric can't change it. What do you want from from people who read this book, Commonwealth? I think there is a hunger among most American Christians. Um, when I travel the world and we see people of faith, other places that are so much deeper than us, uh, I think most American Christians don't realize how shallow they are. Mm. They they are you know they may be church going people and know the stories, but talk about in terms of real ethical commitment and and living it out. Um, and so what I hope will happen is they because I address a lot of the misconceptions, the false presuppositions of our faith uh, in in the church. I hope that they will begin to ask questions to have mm. the courage to say. That's me. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, the rich young ruler. Or I'm the and and there's so many places in there. And I t- attack it from so many different angles that maybe one of those breaks through and people begin to say, you know what, I, it's time in my life. I've got to face some of this duplicity that I'm, mm. I'm living out of and begin to hunger for God and want something more. Mm, that's good. What do you think is going to be the biggest obstacle to that? There'll be pushback. Uh, anytime mm-hmm. you r- write a semi-prophetic book and uh, challenge presuppositions that the traditional Christian church has uh, accepted, um, there's going to be people who push against that. Uh, we've got a member of our church right now who's a professor at Baylor and his wife uh, that have been living in uh, the suburbs of Waco for years. And uh, they knew us, they knew our ministry, they were donors, but they finally came to a place in their life where they said, you know what, we're going to, uh, we're tired of playing church, yeah. we're going to go to church in a bridge, and we're going to uh, look for a house in, in a neighborhood uh, near you. That's transformation. Now, that's not the answer for everybody, but there's pushback from their old church who thinks they've kind of mm. kind of lost it. You know, they've they've given up, given up the middle class dream. You drank and, the Kool Aid, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so there's always going to be that. So you you will get pushback when you challenge tradition. But again, what my church did in 1967 to we should be the ones on the front line with the racial reconciliation. Right. That's that's our part of it. Mm. We've got a the church has not been faithful, and there's more verses about uh, reconciliation in the Bible than almost anything else. So yeah. we we just got to create an atmosphere where my sense is we'll probably you know ten percent of those who read the book will say this is great. I'm I'm going to start changing. Ninety percent will push back mm-hmm. because they just can't deal with the implications. Mm-hmm. The rich young ruler walked away sorrowfully yeah. because it was too high of a price. Yeah. Ugh, the grief. And like, I feel that. I I mean, I I see that in my own life of how many times I walked away when I could have all chips in. I could have, I could have done it. I could still have that invitation tomorrow. And will I be willing to follow? Well, it's so hard. It's hard. It's inconvenient. Addicts are inconvenient. Yes. Like they don't, they they're don't, not on your time. They're not on your time they're table when they decide Friday. to shoot up or you know yeah. take the hit or Eight, nine to five. They baby. don't know the rules when they show up and they're tweaking and you're having a meeting with yeah. a don't. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't. I would change it for the world. It's yeah. so right. textured and fascinating and and I don't. I don't know. I just. I just 
like the guy walking by the window right now. I have no <laughs> idea what he's about to do, but it, it could be interesting. One of my inter- one of my uh, memories twenty years ago, I was, I, we didn't have a homeless shelter in Waco, and I'd grab three pastors to say, "We got to do something. We can't keep living this way. People are on the streets dying, and we'd had two men of our in our mm-hmm. church uh, burned to death in a house that they mm-hmm. boarded up, and and." Uh, so we're having this meeting, and the phone rings. We didn't have a secretary back then, and so I had to get up and answer the phone while we're having this meeting. And it was a homeless man wanting to know shelter. And I said, I don't have time to deal with you. We're dealing with the homeless problem. <laughs> and I thought, something's wrong with this picture. <laughs> and we all get it. Yeah. We all yeah. do that. Yeah. Like, no matter how many years, I mean, you do this work or you're invested, yeah. you're still confronted with your own heart Every and your day. own pride. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is. And yeah. that's the work of the gospel. Yeah. That's the That's the... That's the point. Yes, exactly. is that we're constantly confronted with our own poverty of spirit. Constantly, you know? yes. constant, yes. constant is the work of God. And and actually, the alternative side, the alternative side is this: if it's not happening, then you need to ask yourself mm. yourself the question: Have I? Has I have I just shut down the Holy Spirit in my life to where I can't even hear truth anymore because I've uh, and so it's a compliment when God says, "Hey, boy, you, what did you just say to that person, or yeah. what kind of thing do I need to change in my way I'm living?" And those are that's the that's what the joy of the kingdom is that I got a lot of work still to do. Yeah. Okay, I have a question. Okay. So clearly, if you're listening, uh, Jimmy Jimmy's not a dummy. He's a smart guy. He's quoted more scripture in the past 20 minutes than I think we have on this entire podcast, but that's for another discussion. Why does a guy who wears cargo shorts and a t-shirt and a scraggly beard every day who preaches under a bridge to homeless people, why do you go get a PhD? Um, I think it's actually, I did a doctoral ministry, which is a little different, um, the I, uh, here's what's fun about that. I I literally got to go to school with uh, 21 uh, men and women around the world, mm-hmm. and so I sat down the next first day next to a, an Egyptian Coptic monk who mm-hmm. spent three days a week in a cave praying, and Jimber Tafera from Ethiopia over here who worked in the slums of Ethiopia, and my education tripled by who I went to school with to get that. But my intention all along was to find ways to in, somehow inhabit the, the schools of Baylor and Truett Seminary, and uh, I'm adjunct at a couple other places. Uh, I, don't, I could never live as an academic. I, it is not my world. <laughs> but I love the balance of being able to, to do Mission Waco and yeah. then teach at the seminary. Yeah. Or to, so it's the blendedness, because these are the leaders of the future. And yeah. if, if I can mess them up like we messed Emily up, <laughs> you know, in the earliest days, they may reconsider mm-hmm. uh, what does ministry look like and yeah. what do I say yes to and no to. So it, it was just oh, an expansion for me of the ministry of we still need Christian leaders that will take these churches to, in different directions. Because let me remind you, church, every week, according to Dr. David Barrett, 53,000 people in the Western culture walk away from the Western church and never come back mm. every week. Mm. And we are just closing our eyes blindly to that and saying, well, that's a shame, but your churches are going to be boarded up. Uh, they, they're happening all over. And, and now that includes Europe and includes Canada, so it's not just America. But you will notice that uh, older churches, particularly ethnocentric churches, same mm. color, same Waco, mm-hmm. I mean, same economic systems, um, you are no longer, uh, only 20% of churches in America right now are multicultural churches. Mm-hmm. and But they're growing. That be, we're realizing finally that that what was happening in the early uh, church can yeah. happen here. We can yeah. do this. Yeah. These are ancient. What you're addressing are ancient issues. Yes. This, this is human heart right. 101 that God, through His Son Jesus, breaks through and says, to live, you must die. Yes. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> I mean... Die to your pride, die to your wealth, die to your power. All of it. I mean, all of it. That's that. These are ancient problems, yeah. and the remedy is has stayed constant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's scary stuff. It's That's scary. what's so far. The because we don't have enough trust in who God the Father is, mm. because we really don't have a good theology that's deep enough in our foundations, we think, well, what if I do that and it doesn't work out? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we start laying out the, what about my kids going to school? All these ifs and what ifs, and, and it's, it's, the, it's the killer of faith. Faith yeah. is 11, one, uh, Hebrews 11, one, stepping into that which I don't see, yeah. uh, into mm-hmm. that which I can be confident God will be there. Yeah. Oof. So, so good. 
Um, any other last questions? I could talk for I, I could talk well, forever about. We need to talk forever. We've got a little bit more time. We have more time. Yeah. Okay. Just a little bit. Okay. Good. Um, I had someone tell me. I think you'll like this, Jimmy. I had someone tell me um, your ministry will only be as effective as your eschatology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't even know what eschatology means, <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> Fret. It's uh, it, 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 it is sadly that is true. But uh, again, I won't give you the the long history. But historically, there have been three major different ways we looked at that answer. And uh, each one has implications on how we live. But what I've loved about the last, uh, well, since the, I guess the 30s now, um, let me go back behind that. The, the early uh, church, in, from, I mean, the church in, from 1900 to 1930 went through a major uh, split between the more conservative and the more liberal church called the Great Reversal. And the Great Reversal was a time when the God is Dead movement was moving among some folks, and so the more people who were active in social action that were tended to be more liberal were frightening the larger conservative church, and so they basically split wider, and the more conservative church says, we're just going to do evangelism. All we're going to do is, is just get people saved. The more liberal church continued to deepen their understanding of social action, Walter Rauschenbusch in New York City, Hell's Kitchen, and all those, mm-hmm. and and those were all uh, wasn't wrong, but they really lost their zeal for Christ. They had they Jesus became an example instead mm-hmm. of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, in a healthy theological uh, understanding, when you've got a holistic theology. Social action and evangelism go together. Right. They mm-hmm. never were separated. Say that again for the people uh, in the back. For the people <laughs> that evangelism and social action are all the part. It's like if I have a glass of water and I take a salt shaker and I pour a lot of salt into that, you can still see the salt at the bottom. You've got two parts. But when you take that spoon and stir it up, these two become so intrinsically symbiotic. You can't mm-hmm. see the water and the salt. They're all there. And what we did is we gave up part of who God meant for us to be. Mm-hmm. And so you got a lot of Christians out there throwing tracks at folks. you got a lot of people out there doing good things and saying maybe saying Jesus' name. But the call of the church is to blend those two in what you... How can you sit in a, another Sunday school class talking about this stuff, knowing the same stories over and over, and never get up and go do something? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the call of the church. We need revival, not in the sense of more people walking in and, and bowing at the mm-hmm. foot of the cross. It's We need more people that we're going to mm-hmm. and and praying together in the projects and building relationships with. So we just... Our model's in, in a mess. Mm-hmm. And uh, building big monuments to ourselves, bigger buildings more stuff and uh you know what do you think about just even prophetically i've I've just thought so much about what it's meant during this pandemic for our church stores to be closed it's it's a mix um first of all i do respect science enough to believe that we need to heed Mm. the warnings and follow the basic guidelines i think God gave us a brain. Yeah. If I go to Cameron Park and say I'm going to jump off Lover's Leap <laughs> into the river, but but because God loves me, He's not. I'm mm-hmm. not going to fall. That's mm-hmm. a lie. You know, mm-hmm. it's, there's certain basic. I think there's using wisdom that God gives us, wisdom and knowledge. However, uh, what we've seen is it has immobilized churches who live in fear. Um, and by the way, another part of fear is that the gap between rich and poor continues to grow wider. The more mm. the wealthy get rich, the more the poor get poor. Uh, the gap of fear is is increasing. Fear is, uh, we don't have a spirit of fear in the Christian faith. We, our faith is to be uh, not timid, but bold. Mm-hmm. And so I think what Church in the Bridge did, our answer to that was, we couldn't meet for a while. We meet outside anyway. We met under bridges, and uh, they began to work on our bridge. Uh, Interstate 35 is being redone, so we had to move away from our old building. By the way, I will thank all you taxpayers that yes, you, have, have given yeah. us three, how many million? Three hundred and forty-one million dollars. <laughs> you get a new church to redo our building, there but it'll go. be another couple years till it's ready. So, uh, <laughs> the, the irony of ironies, Chip and Joanna Gaines, uh, Magnolia mm-hmm. uh, Silos was about five blocks away, and they're good Christian folks, mm-hmm. and they call and said, "Hey, we're closed on Sundays. Bring your church underneath mm-hmm. the over here to the silos." So we've been at the silos several years and um, a couple years and and we'll go back under the bridge in about a year and a half from now but but the reality is the that we are so contained by this 
virus that we no, nobody would would risk ourselves. So we said, you know what? They're, we're feeding a hundred and something homeless people everywhere. Where uh, I mean, every Sunday. And so we said, we don't have to quit doing that. Mm-hmm. We're an essential service, if you will. Yes. So with masks, with uh, all the stuff, we the homeless would gather in the streets during those four or five weeks that we couldn't meet, and uh, they'd wash their hands and do whatever, and we would give them a meal, and they'd have to walk away to eat it somewhere else because uh, keeping the crowd distance. Mm-hmm. We even had Palm Sunday there where we had Jesus come down the street with a donkey and, and uh, wash the feet of one of the homeless guys mm-hmm. uh, during that time. And then uh, after that was over, we went simply back inside, uh, we're outside, or outside, not inside, mm-hmm. inside a uh, place, but not a building. And uh, we've been doing church uh, outside. This, this Sunday's going to be 105 degrees. Oh, yeah. uh, and Brett and Emily are going to be playing worship music for us. So uh, we're, we're all bringing umbrellas because it's going to be in sunscreen. <laughs> bathing suits are okay. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to, you know, but the reality is, um, there's ways to modify the, the mind. It's like, I, I think it's not either or, it's what can we do creatively yeah. to worship in a way yeah. that gathers us? Because it, I think it is really difficult to be the church and not see each other. Yeah. So a lot of us, you know, we we attend a church um, that has been, we have not started gathering again because it's indoors. And we went online and in the early days, I mean, those were some really formative times for our family to kind of like gather around the TV. It felt kind of weird and odd, but we were still connected. But I think, I think what it's forced most of the church to question is really ask, what are we really doing? What is church? What is church? And who is the Holy Spirit? How do we connect with God if it's not a part of this, um, System where yeah. we're looking yeah. to the preacher to tell us everything right. to believe. Like, right. what am I hearing for the Holy Spirit for myself? How am I leading my children and my family yeah. um, in faith? And what are we doing with our lives that all of our lives are worship, right. Right. not just what we do on a Sunday morning? Right. 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 It's confronted yep. all of that. And my answer would be get in the car together, put your mask on. And drive through the poor neighborhoods. Yeah. Uh, go take, do some, while you're you're waiting for the church to regather, uh, ask God to bless you as you go look at your community and think, wow, what we, what does our city really look like? And mm. what can I learn about what we can do even now? Because there's so many things you can do without having to, to gather on Sunday morning that is still church. Mm. How do you, you've been doing this work now for how long? Is it 30-something? We moved in the neighborhood 43 years ago. 43, And okay. uh, Church and the Bridge and Mission Waco are both 28 years old, about to be 29. And uh, and so, you know, take the number you want. Mm-hmm. How do you keep, you said you have not faced wanting to throw in the towel. I can't say that. I have wanted to throw in the towel, um, but for Christ. Yeah. And how do you keep from, I guess, burning out or? You know, I think God makes you certain ways. Um, my wife is an incredible woman, and she is the. She's. We, our joke is that I, I say it and she does it, uh, <laughs> and uh, but she is uh, hands on, and and she reaches times where she just mm-hmm. needs a break, mm-hmm. and, uh, and of course we have ten grandchildren now, oh, so the, the break is always uh, directed toward them. But but uh, she got, I got up this morning at uh, at seven o'clock. Uh, she walked in the room and said, "I'm going to see the kids," and she left, and so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those of you out there, would you send some food? <laughs> you know, but but peace that, out. So yeah, so she has that free spirit. Yeah. But she does hit the wall. I don't seem to hit the wall. I'm energized by what's going on. But I think yeah. that's a the way God makes our personalities. I don't yeah. think it's a one size fits all there. I agree. However, uh, I will say that um, there is that sense where um, the the more. We love what we do the more we want to do it, even mm. when it's painful. And so it takes people a while. If you go out and say, okay, I'm going to go help poor people, and you go out there and have a really bad first experience, you say, that's it. you know. Mm. Uh, or I gave the guy at the dumpster a dollar and saw him go buy a 40-ouncer. You know, <laughs> those, those early, you, you have to go for the longer haul uh, till you really get it and understand yeah. what's really going on behind those decisions. And then you get it and you think, boy, if I'd grown up like that, I'd have done the same thing. Mm. And, um, and so realize that we're privileged, but with privilege, we have responsibility. Mm. We're blessed as Abraham to bless others. Mm. So what mm. is it? So as, as a founder, as a creator, as an entrepreneur, as a minister, what is it like now, 28 years plus 
later to look back on, and we're sitting at the top of 15th Street, and I'm actually pointing out the window towards Mission Waco, which is two blocks that way down 15th Street. What is it like to kind of look back on what God has done through you and in you and how you've transformed this entire neighborhood? It's a, it's a real um, mixed answer. One is, uh, I look around, I think, by the grace of God. You know, and I, I mean, we didn't have enough money to pay the bills, much less to, and yet uh, God always provided. And so all the things that have happened over these uh, years, at Mission Waco now a $3.5 million mm-hmm. organization, and, and you think, you know, it, we can, I couldn't do that. That's people. So the team, there was a, a humility about the, those that stepped in beside us that yeah. made a difference. Uh, and and all those things that we did, I think, gosh, it was fun. We never because it was organic. We we were always dealing with real needs. The flip side of that is, I'm still my my own worst enemy. And so I look and think, gosh, I wish we'd have done this. Mm. Man, I, I thought this, if I'd have done this, then our last piece of the Mission Waco years for me was moving into development to create the nonprofit Jubilee Food Market because mm-hmm. we were in a food desert and now poor people have an access to healthy and affordable food. We've taken an old liquor store and remodeled it into an economic center. People don't understand that part of poverty is not just going over to the bad neighborhood. It's rebuilding economic systems yeah. so that now there's the best Mexican ice cream place in town. That so people good. It is. And so, so I, I, I'm in some ways, I wish I had another 50 years I because I, you learn so much when you do this. You think, then we can do more. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, recognizing our finitude and mm-hmm. finding a good leader that John has taken mm-hmm. over uh, for me. And I get to pick and choose what I want to do now that, yeah. that's a... Uh, it's kind of the privilege to dip into the places I most want to live. As you turn this kind of last, you're, you're kind of in your home stretch. Yeah. Um, I'm and, dying. Yeah, you're dying. Aren't <laughs> how, we all? How old are you? <laughs> I'm 70. <laughs> Jeez. And when you when you turn that last corner, I always think about, you know, a star burns brightest right before, you know, it, it goes out. And that last home stretch, it really is, it does feel like so many people in ministry who are really committed to the gospel work the the good stuff that's just like wrung out in the end. I mean, it's kind of like mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah. The truth comes out. Yeah. You know how who you how who you are kind of yeah. burns yeah. out yeah. at yeah. the end. Yeah. Yeah. What are you as you? I mean, you've you've handed over the torch to John Calloway, who's you know leading Mission Waco as CEO. You're still the visionary, the president, the founder. Um, you're leading Church Under the Bridge. What do you want these last years of your life to look like? Uh, when I realized I'm still healthy by the grace yes, of God. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're not going anywhere and, right now. And uh, well, I don't know about that, but I, but I uh, I do know that um, that question was my question uh, too. And it was like, what given what I've been blessed to get to do, how do I help others? Mm. And so we created a, a statewide organization several years ago called the Texas Christian Community Development Network, and uh, there are all those groups across the state that are mom and pop. They're trying to do this stuff. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, There's other groups that are larger, but they need some consultation on things. And so after I was finally able to get out from the so many responsibilities at Mission Waco, uh, I said, I want to keep the church and continue to do that. Uh, but I also want to become uh, more involved. So I'm the co-director of the Texas Network, that uh, TXCCDN. And so we have an annual conference of training, mm-hmm. but I've been on more Zoom meetings in the last uh, <laughs> few months training people on Christian mm-hmm. community development. Mm-hmm. And, and that invitation is to those of you listening. It's like we look up txccdn.net and uh, we will help you move down the road. So I want to flame out. Mm. sharing kind of the Paul and Timothy relationship. Yeah. That what can I do, given the privilege I've had, to help others pick it up from from this point? And so we'll see where I go. Yeah. It's a beautiful network, and I will say that we've been able to be a part of it through the years of the conference and the training, and we have leaned on those relationships to help us, to help the women. And the people that you will meet there at, with who are doing you know, Christian community development in Texas, especially. Um, these are people who love God, yes. who embrace the gospel, and who are who are doing social action. Yes. They are acting upon the yes. gospel, and it's a very niche group. Like you say, it's quirky. Yeah, some, it's not there's slick. Some weirdos. Yes, there are some weirdos. It's, it's yeah. not slick. It's not. It's not your fancy right. conference yep. that you're going to. These yep. are people who are in it. So. 
and fantastic. There's, and there's it's wisdom. Real. It's real. It's so real. Yeah. And and the thing that I love is, of course, we're we got a huge Hispanic population in Texas. More of them are coming. We're dealing with people that are. Uh, it, no, it's not a one size fits all kind no. of group. And so learning to network and help people uh, is is wide. And but it, you leave there and you think, oh, I've been at the the king's table. The, the, every tribe and nation has kind of mm-hmm. come here, and we're learning to to get past our barriers of of. Uh, Racial mm. reconciliation and all these mm-hmm. things we talk about. Now we're getting to do that. But it is good. Uh, we'll be in Fort Worth this year, October 15th, but we'll be in uh, Houston the following year in October. And that will be a huge con- Even the guy that I mentioned that is, um, wrote When Helping It Hurts, mm-hmm. that he will be one of the speakers, as will uh, a couple other heavy hitters. So we have great plenary speakers, lots of workshops, and then we will help you kind of mentor you in networking as we go past that. Love it. Good stuff. Well, um, where can our listeners find your book? Where can they order it? Uh, if you will check with Baylor Press, they did the book. Uh, for a few more weeks, they are giving a 20% discount pre-sale. It actually releases uh, September the 15th. It's already on Amazon. Okay. Uh, so you can go to the main retailers and find it. Commonwealth Transformation Through Christian Community Development is the title. Uh, but if you really care about saving a few dollars, then... Uh, uh, check out Baylor Press, and uh, there's an online way you can order that way. So, But it, it'll, it'll be available most places, and then and based on where you live, I'll, hopefully we'll get to do a few book signing things and build relationships with folks as we go around the nation. And if you're passing through Waco on a Sunday, yeah. you should stop in Church Under the Bridge. That's we right. will be there this we coming will. Sunday. And it is always a highlight to be there, yeah. and Patrick joins us on stage. That's right. We don't know he won't be there, though. He's still on lockdown. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Patrick's our mentally ill, challenged yeah. man who's the front guitar player on our church for the mm-hmm. last 10 years, so yeah. everybody's welcome. <laughs> yes, yes. What time? What time is it We moved it to 10 because of the heat, okay. and yeah. tomorrow we've even asked people to bring their umbrella because it's so hot. All yeah. right, so if you're passing through at 10 o'clock, come over to the silos for the next year and a half. That's Otherwise... Right. The massive church building of Church Under the Bridge will be at the Fifth Street Bridge. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you for joining us. It's an honor to have you on and to kind of walk back in history and see how our work has emerged in some ways. And it's good for Emily and I to be able to look at... I mean, we watch you and we learn from you because you have 30 years plus over us. And it's just an honor to sit with you and to learn from you. Well, I, I am humbled and privileged to get to do what I do. And I thank you for letting me be a part of this. Thanks, Jimmy. All right. As always, we want you to remember to share the love. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Yes. Because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. And visit the website at JesusSaidLove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.